Rob and Mary have known Wanda from before I have, Wanda Faust, and I have the honor of presenting her today. Uh, in my travels, I've experienced what Steve Martin and John Candy have experienced in the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. We have traveled and we have been on planes, on trains, and on automobiles with Wanda, and it's a little bit of a chaotic experience every time that's just an opportunity for God to show up and do amazing things uh, in that time. And she carries herself with such a grace that oftentimes we end up getting, just by me hanging with her, I end up receiving the trail end of the grace and the favor that she receives from airports and other people all around her. So it's an amazing thing. I'm going to read a little bio that is online about her, but it barely touches the surface. So if, uh, the surface. So if you've met her, you will never forget her. For many years, Pastor Wanda Faust has served in the leadership in national ministries across Canada. She presently serves as the National Prayer Liaison, Prophetic Intercession and Networking of a Glow International Canada. Wanda has devoted her life to help men and women become restored, equipped, and empowered to reach their destiny. She has helped to develop support networks for the people of Northern Canada who have suffered, suffered abuse, rape, suicide, and alcohol and drug addictions. She travels extensively as a conference speaker, both nationally and internationally. Wanda has walked with many people who have been impacted by abuse, cancer, suicide, depression, and has bore witness to Christ's ability to restore and heal. She is a faith builder, a joy giver, and is passionate in her desire to touch a hurting world with God's truth. She also is a fantastic mother. She's a mother of two children and two grandchildren, and uh, she is a mother to many of the next generation people all across the globe. She participates in conference calls with young generation leaders from many different nations. She has been the leader of intercession and prayer for Watchmen for the Nations. So whenever we're traveling in any of the gatherings, you find her surrounded by a team of others that work together to discern what God is speaking to the body of Christ at that moment. So she has a very sensitive ear to hear the voice of God and a heart to be able to express that and you will experience that today as she ministers to us. So, Wanda, we welcome you. We bless you. Let's just extend our hands and bless her as she comes up. Can I pray for you? Father, we thank you for Mama Wanda. By the way, she gets called Wandama in the, in the Asian culture. So, Wandama, we bless you in Jesus' name. And we give you freedom to be who you are and to release who he is through everything that you say and do in the next moments with us here as the Lord blesses you as you bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Bless you, love amen. you. It's so good to be here. I've been in this church a couple of times, but this is the first time that I've been speaking. And I absolutely love Hanny and Silva and Aaron and Sarah and Rob and Mary Lee. And I love you. You don't know me. I don't know you, but I know you in the spirit. So I want you to just take a moment and just, Hug somebody, okay? Because this makes me feel really warm inside. When I see you really loving one another, okay? And if there's someone that doesn't get a hug, can you please put up your hand? If you didn't get a hug, I'll be down to hug you in a minute. There you go. (laughs) Doesn't that feel good, huh? 
Do you know, it says that you need, uh, oh my goodness, I'm not going to say this right, but pretend I am, okay? They say that every person needs how many hugs a day? No. Uh, it, it's actually been tested scientifically that a person needs a certain number of hugs every day of their life in order to be full of joy. But uh, that's why I hug everybody. I mean, taxi drivers, restaurant. Uh, I mean, I do. I hug my waitresses after they've served me. And uh, I mean, I just love people. And I know it's because God loves me. And it's contagious. I mean, love is contagious. I, I don't like it when I come into a church and I see someone look like a dried up prune. Uh, actually, when I was a little girl, I used to try to get away from the sermons. Uh, we used to have bulletins back then, and I used to color in all the uh, the O's and the E's and the A's. And when I finally got all my bulletin all colored in, I wanted to escape. So every time I would say I'd have to go to the washroom. And one time I went down to the washroom and I met this lady in the hallway when I was going back to my seat. And she had white tight curls. She had just had a perm, I'm sure. You may not know what perms are, but back in my day, they were very popular. You'd get your hair curled, and it would last for months. The same curls would always be there. But she met me in the hallway, and she said, what are you doing here? I said, I went to the bathroom. She said, you get back to that church and sit down. And I remember as a little girl walking away from her saying, Jesus... I don't want to ever be a grumpy old woman. And you know what? That seed went into my spirit, and I knew from day that day that I was not going to be a grumpy old church woman. And I know that this church is not full of grumpy old church women and grumpy old church men. You're full of God's love, and it's really a privilege to be here. Henny has taught me many things. And lots of good things, like when he said that I sit at the discernment table. It's the wildest thing when we're together at gatherings. The Lord starts saying something to me, but in the meantime, he's over in another part of the room, and God's saying exactly the same thing to him. And I might text him, and I'll say, Honey, I'm sensing this. Oh, I can't believe this. Look at this. And I'm going, look at this, look at this. And so we're talking back and forth, and we're hearing the voice of God together. And before you know it, starts to spread around the room, and other people are hearing it, writing down, giving it to us. And, and uh, then we know that we need to take this to the leadership, and the leadership stand, and they release the sound of heaven, which has come out of the full body that are present, and not only present, people are writing us all over the world. As we're gathering in a nation somewhere, there's thousands of people praying, and they're hearing and listening and praying, and they're sending us texts, and they're saying, the Lord just said this. It's amazing. Actually, there's times we've been in a room, and someone has texted us, and Hanny has texted me, and they're saying, where is she in the room? I said, no, no, she's in Austria, because she's hearing the sound of heaven. And God is doing that, but this is why we need each other. There's no lone rangers in the body of Christ. But Hanny has taught me many, many things. My very first trip to Egypt, they were talking about riding camels. And, of course, being Egyptian and having, you know, his son present, 
he thought he would demonstrate to us how to <laughs> how to mount a camel and everything but to take away the fear factor he thought he would use Aaron instead of a camel first <laughs> they don't know what i have here on this phone okay so this is something that your pastor lovingly taught me and i think you need to learn this lesson as well all that she told me was she wanted to show a video <laughs> she would let me touch the phone will the sound come with this okay they're going to airdrop it now don't it's it's okay Do you know what? We go into the highest level of warfare. And I want to tell you in this church, I believe that you are undercover. You're a place where God releases arrows and releases his angels and his glory throughout the earth. And you know what? The enemy doesn't even know you're here. That's why if you anytime start praying to the devil and telling him to go... You're just talking to thin air. He doesn't even know you're there. And the reason I'm telling you this is because during, uh, uh, there's certain places I go and I pick this up immediately. I've come into a communication center with God. During the, uh, there was uh, a time, I don't know how long ago, probably about 10 or 12 years ago. Can you remember when they were blowing up all the um, oil, um, things in Iran and there was talking about germ warfare into Israel and and uh, our prime minister had put out an advisory for anybody from Canada to get out of Israel and people were leaving Israel in droves can you remember that time some of you are too young but it was probably 10 12 years ago I was actually flying into Israel at that very time when they were telling you to come out and the swine flu had broken out there was all kinds of things happening on the earth Anyway, uh, when I got to Toronto, I had a cough, and I was flying flying with LL. And when I started the cough, they pulled me. This is so good. Not yet. Not yet. They pulled me inside, and a medical doctor examined me, and they wouldn't let me fly to Israel because they were afraid of the swine flu. So I got on an airplane flying back home, and there was a man sitting next to me. And I was, my heart was broken that I couldn't go into Israel. And we started talking, and he told me that he was the top commanding officer for the communications for the Canadian military. And that he was going home to just say goodbye to his family because he was being sent in to the dead center of the war zone. And I said to him, I said, you must be on the front line. I mean, this is really serious what you're doing. He said, oh, no, 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 no. The command center is never on the front line. I said, what do you mean it's not on the front line? He said, the command center has to be completely hidden from the enemy so that the communications can go out to the front lines, communications that's the strategic prayer, you know, things that they need to do. Everything is done in the communication center. And if the enemy finds the communication center, it will destroy the whole, you know, it will take 
and destroy the, uh, you know, your, your team, your forces. It would destroy. So there's places I land. And as soon as I came into this church, I went, oh my goodness, this is a command center. This is a place that's not appearing to be on the front line, but actually you are communing with heaven to earth and releasing to the front line the glory of God. So uh, I'm not surprised that you're with helping hands doing things in other nations because when you start praying here for China, for Iraq, for, you know, any other place, you are actually in that place in the spirit and you are releasing the forces and the presence and the power and the authority of God into that place. And the enemy doesn't know where the missiles came from. The enemy has no idea. He's blindsided because he does not know that there's a command base here that's sending off heavenly orders into the earth and establishing his kingdom in places all over the earth. So don't be surprised if God lays a nation on your heart. Don't be surprised that there's things really hitting your spirit when you're here in Toronto. And in the meantime, your heart is just completely in another nation and you want to pray and believe and establish God's kingdom there. You don't have to get on a plane to go. You are actually being appointed and anointed by God to be in this command center. So I would, my advice to you would be don't even think about the enemy. When you're here praying and when you're seeking the Lord, Just praise his name. Just declare the truth. Just take the word of God and speak it over those places and things. Because what you do here, establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Okay? Okay? Your warfare, your warfare is listening to God and releasing his sound. That's your weapon. Okay? You do not have to bind and take down the enemy. It's taken down the minute you believe and say yes and amen in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, I remember when the Dalai Lama came here and you guys were way up here in that. And uh, I was in St. John's, Newfoundland at the most eastern point of Newfoundland. And, uh, you know, there was all kinds of things that you could have done in binding the enemy and, and, you know, letting the devil know that you're in here, you know, and you're yada, yada, yada. But what you did, you gave no heed to the enemy. You gathered and you praised the Lord. You lifted up his name. So in Signal Hill in St. John's, Newfoundland, the highest point in the Eastern Gate of Canada, I gathered with intercessors and we praised the Lord and everything the Dalai Lama touched fell. We didn't have to go into spiritual, that kind of stronghold, breaking his... He was broken the minute we invited Jesus Christ into our home and into our lives. He's already defeated. Anyway, I don't know why I'm showing this. I just like having fun. But this this is one of the lessons that I was taught, how to get on a camel and how to... And this, as you can see, is in Egypt by the pyramids. So let's go. Let's see if this works.
your chair, jump up on your feet, and dance with the camel to the groovy camel beat. I did that last night in bed. <laughs> or no, the night before. We've got to have fun, people. We've got to get to know each other. I would love to be here for this amazing race. Everybody should sign up. We got to know each other, not just in, you know, the love of the Lord, which we do know each other, but it's getting to really know getting to really know you, Rob, you know, like what's your favorite meal? Enchiladas. Did everybody know that before? Okay. Next week, pot locket. Someone bring enchiladas. What are they called again? Enchiladas. Enchiladas. Okay. Bless your pastor. Someone. Yeah. <laughs> I like looking at people, and I'm here right now just asking the Lord what he wants me to say because I've prepared quite a few messages, and I don't have enough time to preach them all. I need my phone back. It's interesting that Hanny read my bio like he did because actually a lot of the things that I've done in the north I'm not doing quite so much right now. But I did deal a lot with these situations, and God has raised up a lot of Inuit people who are now taking leadership in that. And that was my goal, I believe, one of my goals anyway, is to not for them to wait for someone to come fix them, that Jesus would fix them and then they would help others. And it's, it seems to have spread that way, which is really, really good. As a believer... For, oh my goodness, I've been a believer now for 53 years. Yeah. And, and I was a teenager when I came to the Lord. But when I came to the Lord, there were so many things I didn't know about him. I was raised in a home where I was sent to church, but my parents didn't go except on Easter and Christmas. But I had a praying grandmother. And she loved the Lord with all her heart. And I never understood whenever I'd go to her house, she'd, we'd kneel down together and she'd cry every time she'd pray for my family. And it wasn't until years later I understood that. But when I was 16 years old and I gave my heart to the Lord, um, it went from night to day. I had stepped into a lifestyle that I should never have stepped into with drinking and running around with the wrong crowd and 
doing all kinds of things. My father had just died months before. And uh, I met a man who said that if he ever got married, he'd want to marry a Christian woman. So I went out and bought a hat and I went to church. And I thought that was it. I was in church Sunday, so I was a Christian. But I soon found out there was a lot more to being a Christian. And the day that I gave my heart to the Lord, it was night to day for me. I no longer wanted to drink, party, and do all the crazy things that I was involved in. A lot of my friends ended up being um, drug addicts. Some of them ended up in prison. Many of my friends ended up having abortions. And it was in the, the days of, you know, make peace, love child, hippie days. And uh, God saved me because I had a praying grandma. I really believe prayer is the answer to everything that, uh, that we need in our homes, our families, our lives. And shortly after that, I was actually 10 years later, I had a dream. And in that dream, uh, actually, I didn't think it was a dream. I was in bed, and all of a sudden, I heard this terrible noise. And I thought it was coming from my uh, back garden. I thought it was a dog ripping a cat apart. And the, it was so painful, it went like, you know, sound like a cat being ripped apart. And I jumped out of bed. I literally jumped out of bed. I was awake and I ran to the window and opened it. And I looked out and it was a beautiful moonlit night. There was no cat, no dog, but the noise was still inside my head. And I went back and I laid on the bed and I said, God, what was that? I was trembling. I couldn't believe my husband was asleep in the bed next to me and didn't hear the noise. And for the first time in my life, I had a vision and in that vision, I seen people completely crumbled on the floor. And the sound was coming from inside their innermost beings. And they were crying so hard. And all of a sudden, one of the people came up on their knees and looked at me. And I seen a beautiful face soaked with tears, very, very dark, dark eyes, and fur a hooded fur jacket, and I knew right away I was looking in the face of an Inuit woman. And that began a journey for me of prayer and intercession for northern Canada. And it established in my life uh, a cry that only God could give you. Uh, Before uh, I became a Christian, uh, my home was pretty rough. My dad was an alcoholic um, and would many times uh, lose his temper. And, uh, and those times it would become abusive. I was raped continuously as a child and uh, I tried to commit suicide when, before I became a believer. So there was rape, alcoholism, and suicide. And then I found Jesus, and Jesus, man, can he ever do a good job. He healed me of every bit of that abuse and alcoholism and the very people that wounded me. I absolutely loved more than I could ever have loved anybody. I started praying for them. It wasn't until years later that I realized that my dad was going through post-traumatic stress. There was no such thing back then when I was 16 years old or 
uh, when I was younger as a child. And my dad fought for five years in the Second World War and came back. And he was, he was not in a good state. And he died when he was 10 days after his 45th birthday of a heart attack. So, you know, it was a hard life. But what I learned is that the very weapons that were formed against me, the very thing that the enemy wanted to take me out with became weapons in my hands. That uh, the alcoholism, the abuse, the suicide were the very things that were trying to take out the people of the North, the Inuit people. And now I knew that I knew that nothing is wasted with God, that he had a call on my life and I was... And, but I didn't. I never dreamt I'd ever go north. I, I mean, I was a, a mother of two children, little children, and uh, business owners. And I, you know, my life was my kids and my work and taking care of my husband. And I had never been on a plane. So you know, my job was to pray for seven years. I, someone gave me some water from Labrador and someone gave me a stone and someone gave me a, a carving. So I had this little thing on top of my stereo and every day I touched the rock and I touched the water and I touched the carving and I'd pray. I'd cut out newspaper articles that would talk about people that were arrested because of rape, suicide, murder. And the burden started to get so big in me that I couldn't it hurt me. I was hurting too much inside. And I would talk to people about it, and they couldn't get it. They said, that's good for you, Wanda, but they didn't have the same burden. And, I mean, I understand God gives it to different people, you know, but uh, then the Lord opened a door for me to go. Now, I'm going to go back again. When I was 16 years old and I was born again, you know, I had no plans saying anything I'm saying right now. So I believe the Holy Spirit wants you to hear this because he has a plan for every one of your lives. And it's really important that you allow the spirit to just blow you like the wind into his plans and purposes. Anyway, when I was 16 years old and I was born again, uh, this boy who eventually became my husband who wanted to have a Christian for his wife Uh, His sister was Pentecostal, and she invited me to a Pentecostal service. And at that time, we wore our hair in beehives. Is there anybody? I guess there's a couple here in my generation. Uh, We wore our hair in beehives and, you know, go-go boots and hot pants and all that stuff. We we had all these things. I know that's a strange foreign language to most of you, but it was the style. And we all had to wear hats to church. So I went to this Pentecostal church, and this woman got up, and she started shaking and shaking and shaking, and her hat was going all over the place. And she was, this sound was coming out like, uh, you know, I don't know what. It scared the living daylights out of me. I thought I'd gone into a place where they were possessed or something. I didn't know what it was. It really scared me. Anyway, I, um, I said to my uh, my husband's sister, I said, what was that? And she said, oh, just go home and read Acts 2. And I said, okay, I'll go home and I read Acts 2. And I read it, and it talked about how they had gathered and the wind. Now, the word wind and breath in the word of God is the same word. So it said that a mighty wind 
came into the room where they were gathered in the upper room. That was the breath of God. He just, he just blew into that place, the breath of God. Like just, just breathe in for a second. That's Jesus. He's giving you that breath. Is there anybody here not breathing? No, okay. Just checking. Do you know what I do almost every morning when I wake up? Before I wake up, I don't know if I'm alive or dead. But the very minute I wake up and I breathe in, I know that God's given me a brand new day. And I give him back the day. And I say, I'm yours. He's my every breath. Every breath. So it says that in this upper room, the breath of God came in like a mighty wind. And it was so strong that the room began to shake. And then there was like tongues of fire came upon the people and they began to speak in languages they never knew. I never, ever heard of this in my upbringing. And I'm wondering, God, if it's in your Bible, I want it. See, this is the only book that you'll ever open where the author is always present. So I'm reading this and I'm saying, I want it. I want this. And you know what? I've read scripture after scripture after scripture in my 50 plus years of serving him. And when I read something and I, I go, oh my goodness, God, I want it. I am so wanting everything in here. It's like going to a buffet and everything you see in all the food. You want to taste this, 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 this. You want it. And I want everything. I'm not selfish. I just want to be more like him. I want to see his glory. I want his power. I want that authority to be in me so that the world can see Jesus. So I said, Lord, I want this. I want this so bad. So I went to the Pentecostal church that night and they were having wonderful service and nothing happened and I didn't know how to get it. You know, I don't know how to get this stuff. All I know is God says it's mine, so it's up to him to give it to me the way he'd give it to me. And anyway, I said, God, I really want this. So it was late when the service ended and my boyfriend was waiting outside in the car. He didn't want to have anything to do with church. He just knew that it would be a good thing to have a Christian wife. And when I got out, I was late. When I got in the car, he said, why were you so late? I said, it was just such an amazing night. He said, well, and he was upset. Now, you got to know, this is also, you may not know this. Do you know the Duke's a hazard? You do? Okay, okay. Okay, he had a Duke's a hazard car, okay, with the big mag wheels and Hollywood mufflers and, and everything. And every time he put his gas foot to the pedal, it would lay rubber like it would go, you know, like this was my teen years, folks. So (laughs) go-go boots, hot pants, and this RT, Dodge RT. And uh, anyway, so I got in the car and he laid rubber all the way down the street in front of the church. He was upset. I was so late. So I, I really had a crush on him. And I had my Bible on my lap, and I remember just, because he couldn't hear me. The radio was going, and the sound of the motor was so loud. But I 
softly put my Bible on the dash. And I said, Lord, I can't do this. It was a second of saying, God, I really want this man and I can't serve you and make him happy. And the minute I said that, I felt my heart go, no, 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 that's not true. And I began to speak in tongues. And I didn't know how to stop. I didn't know, and it was softly, but I didn't want to stop. And I didn't, I I didn't know what happened. I knew it was this, what I'd asked for, but I didn't know how to turn it off. I didn't, I mean, I'd only seen this one woman. I, I knew nothing about this, but it was God. And I could feel him so with me at that moment. So in my head, as I was quietly speaking in tongues, I said, God, if I stop, will you let me do it again? Because I didn't know if I stopped, if it would ever happen again. And with that, I said, take me home. And he turned the car around. He was mad. He was glad to take me home. And I went home, and that whole night, I just spoke in tongues. It was like I was communicating with God in a way I'd never communicated with before. It was so deep. It was so wonderful. But I kept saying this one word, kuvali, 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 kuvali. So I went back into Acts again, Acts 2, and it said that when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they went out into the marketplace, and they were there from many, many, many regions, and they all spoke many different languages. And they went out into the streets, and they were all speaking in tongues, and they were praising God in many languages. And the people were hearing them praising God, and they were praising them in whatever language and dialect they were from. So I thought that my tongue must be an earthly language. I didn't realize that there's also a spiritual language. So I was learning. So I went into Cole's bookstore, and I got every language dictionary, and I tried to figure out how Kuvali would spell in another language, and I got, I had a big, strong concordance. We didn't have computers back then. I'm really dating myself, aren't I? <laughs> I, I am a little old lady, but I don't do old, Okay. Uh, anyway, I had a strong concordance with Greek and Hebrew in it, and I tried to figure out what Kuvli would mean there. And I, uh, if I met someone who spoke other languages, I'd say, is Kuvli your language? Actually, I thought Kuvli at first was Latin because they did the Catholic Mass in Latin. Then I thought that was God's language. I didn't even know there was Greek and Hebrew. Back to this dream with the Inuit. God began after seven years of praying. Do you know what? I want you to get this, okay? Not too long ago, I was praying in my uh, kitchen, and I had a situation where I wanted an answered prayer right away. Any, ever, any of you ever felt like that, like you have a need, and you need God to answer that prayer right now. Am I the only one? Like, you know, it's like you really want to turn God on like a light switch and say, now God, now God, now God, now God. So I'm at my kitchen sink and I'm praying and I'm saying, God, I need an answer right now. I really do. And I was desperate, you know, like having this really serious conversation with God. And I heard this in my head. 
isn't that those trees beautiful in your garden? And I'm kind of going, yeah, they're nice trees. But God, I really need you to answer right now. Father, you know how desperate we need you right now. And the thought came, I really love those trees. And I stop and I look at the trees and I'm thinking, God, is that you interrupting my prayer? You know, I'm, this is serious. So I go back and I pray and I pray and I pray. And again, just take a moment and look at those trees, you know? So I stop and I breathe. And I look at the trees and I have really big trees in my back garden. And all of a sudden, my problem is here, but now I'm here looking at the trees. And I started to hear the whispers of God in my hair. He's saying, I loved making those trees. I really did, you know, and I'm saying, yeah, God, I'm so glad you did. I love doing my dishes and looking at my garden. He said, you know, Wanda... Those trees didn't grow overnight. And I said, I know, God, some of those trees are really old. And you know what he said to me? He said, Wanda, I really love doing things slow. And with that, my prayer of desperate cry unto God became, God, in your time, do it according to your plan, to your will. Don't rush anything in my life. Take me moment by moment, breath by breath, step by step, and unfold your purposes and plans. You're the one in control, not me. And when he said that, I thought of the day that I gave birth to each of my sons and held my little seven-pound, two-ounce little boy and my eight two-ounce little boy. I would never want to see them the next day walking or buying a motorcycle or driving a car. I enjoyed watching them grow. Actually, time passed too quickly. But God has us on this journey where he likes doing things slow in our life. That's why he wants us to breathe him in. And to allow his spirit to lead us and take us. Actually, I think that's why he put them in the upper room. He put them up in the room so they could breathe. That they could cry on each other's shoulder. Can you imagine, Peter, how he felt? And how he must have cried on John's shoulder. It had to be John's. And saying, John, I so failed him. I told him I would never deny him, but I did. I think there was a lot of tears and a lot of heart to heart and a lot of things that were happening in that upper room. But back to this word, Kuvali. 30 years later, in March I think it was March 28th, 1998. 30 years almost to the day that I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. At that point, I had gone in and out of the north many times. The Lord opened many doors, 
Many were saved, healed, delivered, abused women, healed, men restored. The God, power of God just took myself and a few other women, and God just blessed whatever we touched in his name. But 30 years later, I received a text, or not a text. We didn't get texts back then. I got a cassette sent to me from, from the north. And on it was a tape. James Ariak and his now wife, Louie, were in a little village called Pond Inlet. And while they were there, they were leading the worship, and it was kind of going, dun, dun, dee. This was the song. It was on the tape. And Louie, who was helping James with worship, she stepped down from the mic. And she walked in front of the platform. And it was a group of young people there. And there were a couple of pastors in the room. It was an Anglican church. And Louie started walking back and forth. And she was saying, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Kuvali, Lord. Kuvali, Lord. Kuvali, Lord. Now, uh, my cassette player wasn't working in the house, so I took my cassette player, uh, my cassette, and put it in my vehicle. So I'm in the car, and I'm hearing this tape for the first time. And I'm hearing somebody say, Kuvali, for 30 years. 30 years, every single time I prayed in tongues, I said, Kuvali. The Holy Spirit zapped me. When she started saying Kuvali, all of a sudden within the room, a wind, the breath of God came into the room. And it got louder and louder and louder. They actually thought there was something wrong with the sound. So they pulled all the buttons down. When that didn't work, they unplugged it. But the wind got louder and louder and louder and louder. And the drummer went ballistic on the drums. And James started screaming, fire, fire, fire. And the glory of God came into that place. And that whole village was transformed they took every single thing that was in their house that didn't bring honor and glory to god and they created a huge bonfire on the ice and they burnt everything and the glory of god swept through that village and it swept through the north and it swept through the nations all over the world it actually became one of the transformation videos that otis um george otis produced so I'm in, the, in my van, and uh, the glory of God is just coming over me, and I'm as drunk as a skunk in the spirit. My legs become like rubber tubes, and I can't walk. I'm shaking, and I'm, and I'm trying to get back into the house to phone the Inuit lady who sent me the, t- the, the cassette because it only just happened. And that's another miracle. Everything was turned off, the cassette recorder and everything, but still... It was all recorded. It's literally impossible for that to have been recorded. But the Holy Spirit knew that that sound had to be released on the earth. I got out of my van. I literally crawled. I couldn't walk to my steps into the house. And I phoned Veronica, my Inuit friend. I couldn't speak English, even if I tried. And she heard me on the other, and she started to laugh. And she said, you got the cassette? I can know you got the cassette. Finally, I said, 
I was able to say, Veronica, is Kuvli an Uktatuk? And she said, yes, it is. I said, what does it mean? She said, Wanda, it means pour out your spirit. You know, when he breathes on you, you may not feel that you're doing much or you're not very important, but once his breath is in you, his kingdom is established on earth as it is in heaven. And when you do anything in his name, anything, even though it seems itty-bitty, teeny-weeny, it is so magnified by his glory in him. It releases his kingdom on earth. It establishes his heartbeat. It's in his breath. He's every breath, every breath. When he created Adam... He took dirt, sand, gravel. I don't know what it looked like at that point. If it looked any, it might have even looked like the desert where you were on your camel. You know, it, it said it just, he just took dirt. And he said he formed man. And there it was in his image, man. But when he breathed into Adam, he became alive. His breath is so with us. His, that's why we're here. Like you're breathing today because God's still got a plan for your life. And there's not one thing in your life, not one horrible, terrible thing that's happened in your life that can't be used for his glory. A child in an alcoholic home who was beaten, who was raped continuously. I mean, my life goes on and on. I can tell you horror story after horror story of circumstances in my life. I mean, my life has not been a bed of roses, according to the word, to the world. But my life has been full of Jesus. And because of that, every circumstance that comes into my life, and now I'm at the point, okay, God, how are you going to use this? How are you, like, show me God. Like, I went through a, a horrible divorce, my husband fell in love with a young woman in our business. He's married to her now. And he left me after 40 years. That's not an easy thing to do when you're madly in love with somebody. I crumbled. I crumbled. I, like death to me at that point seemed like the best solution. But I knew Jesus. And it was over Christmas, so I curled up in my lazy boy chair and I cried myself to sleep. 
I'd wake up crying, go back to sleep crying. I'd wake up crying, go to sleep crying. And the only words I could sing was, Be near me, Lord Jesus, I ask you to stay. Close by me forever and love me, I pray. That's all I could sing. And as I was singing this song and the pain was so deep, it felt like a fluorescent bulb had exploded inside my heart and every organ in my body was bleeding. The depth of pain, I can't describe it. And I remember singing this and and I felt, I literally felt his arms go inside me and hold me tight. But as I felt his arms go inside me, I felt these charts of glass that were, had splintered my heart and every organ on my body start cutting his arms. I felt like everything inside me was cutting him and making him bleed. And I actually said at that moment, don't hold me so tight. It's going to hurt you. And I don't want you to bleed too. And he said, I'll never let you go. Every breath, every breath I take, it's Jesus. His love goes far deeper. He knows your lonely times. He knows your every battle. He knows your every circumstance. And you know what I said to God that day? I said, God, this is really hard, but teach me well, because I know there's a lot of women and a lot of men out there who are experiencing the exact same pain that I am, and I know you're going to heal me, and I want to walk through this. I want you to teach me, show me how to go through this so that I'll be healed, but I'll be able to help heal others. Because the word of God says, I comfort you so that you can comfort others with that same thing. So my life has been full of helping people through depression, through rape, through murder, through suicide, through broken hearts, through depression. I've tasted every single one of those things, not in a little way, but in a big way. In the midst of this, I'd been commissioned by Watchmen of the Nation to do a three-month, 30-city, bringing intercessors together. And I phoned David Damien and I said, David, I cried for ever so long before I could speak. I was supposed to start on January 6th. And this was middle of December. I said, David, something terrible's happened. My family has fallen apart. And so I have to tell you, I can't go. I can't do this. Uh, I have to quit. I don't want to bring shame to, uh, you know, the ministry. I don't want, because people judge you. People judge you whether you're right or wrong, you get judged. It comes with territory when you love Jesus. Get used to it. (laughs) You probably all know that by now. And David listened to me, and he said something that literally changed my life that day. He said, Wanda, we have the airline tickets all bought. He said, I believe you're meant to go. He said, quitting is not an option. We're family. Quitting is not an option. We're family.
And on January the 6th, I got on an airplane wearing dark sunglasses because I had cried the night before and I was still crying on the plane. And I ended up in Ottawa. And Ken and Lois Hall were there to meet me. And Ken held me like a father in his arms and I wept like a baby. And Rav, I took across the nation, Proverbs 13, verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a destiny fulfilled is a tree of life. That was 2006, and many churches were splitting, many pastors were quitting. There was a lot of things going on in our nation. People were really discouraged. And I went city after city, and I said, we're stepping out of hope deferred. And I made us all physically get in a circle and take a step into our destiny, into the tree of life. The one who can take us through every storm, the one who can hold us close when nobody else seems to want us or understand us or can hear us. He goes into the hidden deep parts of our being into the inner chamber where nobody else can go but Jesus. Quitting is not an option. He's got you. He's got you. He's got you. And you know, many times I'm praying with somebody and they're telling me about how difficult their life is and I kind of got to hold back my joy. Because I think if the enemy is coming at you this strong, it's because he fears you most. Like everything the enemy's thrown at me has backfired. And I'm sure he regrets it. I'm sure he regrets that I was raped. I'm sure he regrets that I was put in a home without calling. I'm sure he regrets it. But God had a plan. Just as he did for Joseph. Can you imagine what it was like for Joseph being thrown into that well, his clothes stripped off and his brothers yelling at him, and then they pull him out? He must have thought, thank God, they've come to their senses, they're going to rescue me. But no, they put him on a caravan, sell him. Can you imagine what it was for Joseph to look back at his brothers? He must have been begging them, what are you doing? You're my brothers, you're my family. And he was sent into a world that he'd never known. But he knew the breath of God. He knew God's presence. And that's what sustained him. Put in a home to be a servant and the wife sexually craves him. Tries to seduce him. She grabs him. And as he he runs. He, does, he knows this is not right. He runs and his cloak is ripped off. She accuses him of rape. Whether a man rapes somebody or not, once it's made public by someone accusing him of rape, people will always think that you're a rapist. But he took God with him into prison. I'm sure every day he breathed God in. I'm positive he did. He had nobody else but God.
He had a vision when he was a young man. He was much older when he was used mightily to deliver and to provide and to be that one who established food and everything else that Egypt known. And when his brothers came back, he said to the brothers, I'm not going to harm you. This was all God's plan. See, God likes doing things slow. He likes teaching us. He likes showing us. You know, in Newfoundland, one time there was a young man building a boat, and he had gotten all the latest technology and what would be the best radar and the best equipment and the best way of doing all the things in the boat. And in Newfoundland, we built our boats in our driveway, and then we rolled them down to the sea. And there was one skipper who was a master boat builder, and he was very elderly. And he would walk by this driveway every day, and he would not stop and look at the boat or anything. And this young man really wanted this expert to tell him how good his boat was, how amazing he was doing with the job of building it and all that. And he kept going by every few days until one day the young man couldn't stand it anymore. And he said, Skipper, come here, I want to show you my boat. So Skipper came and he looked at the boat and, he's, and the young man started explaining all the latest technology and how he had done this, that, and everything else to make this boat the best boat ever built in that community. And Skipper just walked around the boat, listened, never said a word. Finally, the young man, he said, Skipper, he said, tell me, what do you think of my boat? Skipper kind of looked at the boat and then he looked at the young man. He says, I can't tell you a thing right now. And the young man said, but why? He says, because the boat hasn't been through a storm yet. You don't know what you're made of until you go through a storm. Nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. I feel this is a church that needs to know that you can walk on water. That some of you are going through probably the most amazing process in your life right now because of the hard time you're in right now. This is the place where you grow. This is the place where you become a strength that when people look at you, they say, I'm going through the same thing, but how come you can come through this and I can't? The world is looking for those people who are living in the breath of Jesus Christ under his love, his strength, his strength, not ours. I'm really not a strong woman, but I know where to go to get the strength I need. That's Jesus. Here we are at Easter time. It's when I got saved. At Easter. Every year God gives me one word on January 1st or December 31st at midnight. 
and that word begins to grow and beget, becomes more of a revelation to me throughout the year, and it, it really is amazing what unfolds. This year, you know what word he gave me? Jesus. Yes, Siri. Siri is saying yes to me. It's Jesus. That's the word he's given me, Jesus. When people phone me now to pray for them, you know what I do? I go, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, I can keep going. I don't have to say anything else but his name. And I know he's already gone into that circumstance. I go for long walks, and as I'm walking, I'm saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We were in Ashwan in Egypt, and they were talking about this is like the uh, gateway to a lot of the demonic cults, idols that affect the whole world even today. And there were people talking about this idol and that idol and this God and that God and this God. And I went up to David. I said, David, let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. And some of the Koreans were on the piano and they just started singing, Jesus, Jesus. And whatever way they sang it, they sang, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We began to worship At that very moment as we were worshiping, a 25-meter-high idol in Korea toppled over and his face was crushed to the ground. You know, a lot of people don't say Jesus in the church very much these days. We say God, we sing songs to him. But we don't say Jesus very much. I realized that when the Lord told me this year what the word was Jesus, I realized I didn't say Jesus very much. So now my word for 2019 is Jesus. And I'll let you have it too. Okay? I feel that there's some people here that need prayer. Uh, I believe that, uh, I really do. I feel the water breaking in this place, and there's going to be much birthing and much of the kingdom. I believe that out of this church, there's going to be a really strong release of evangelism. Uh, I know you've been seeking the prophetic, the apostolic, the teaching. You know, you all want to be prophets, but... I can tell you right now that there's a strong gift of evangelism in this church. And uh, that's why the walls have to come down. You need more room, but that's okay. They can come here, sit on the floor, the platform, up the wall, out in the hall. It doesn't matter. You'll fit them in until you need the... God's doing something slow with you guys. So breathe. Okay? Breathe. The word says, be anxious for nothing. But in prayer and supplication, make your requests made on unto the Lord. And he has heard your prayer. He actually got a great plan for every one of you. 
I'm going to ask, is there anybody here? Okay, this is going to be an ouch question, okay? But I'm good at doing ouch questions. The Lord has just spoken to me, and I, I mean, it's up to you to judge whatever I say, okay? I really believe that God says that there's a strong gift of evangelism in this church. But I'm going to ask an ouch question. Is there anybody in this church that's led someone to Jesus Christ this week? If you have, could you just stand up? Ouch. Okay, here we go. It's not, this one's an even a bigger ouch question, okay? Is there anybody in this church in the last month that's led someone to Jesus Christ? Just stand up for a second. Thank you. God bless you. You can sit again. Now, I'm not going to thank you very much. I'm not going to ask you to stand this time. You can sit. Thank you. Have you led someone to Jesus Christ in the last 12 years. Don't respond, okay? I don't want to embarrass anybody here. Have you led anybody to Jesus Christ in the last year? Okay? Doesn't that hurt? It's hard for me to even ask you, but I'm only obeying God right now to tell you this because he wants you to know that you're not going to be the same after this morning's service that the name of Jesus is going to come so natural out of your spirit, the love of Jesus, every breath that you take, every step that you move, everywhere you go, there's something going to start growing in you. You're going to start having a heartbeat for people, and you're going to be walking not in the fear of man, but in the fear of God. You're going to see his kingdom established on earth as it is in heaven. You're going to see your family members coming to the Lord. You're going to see your neighbors saved. You're going to see your people in the workplace saved. Wherever he's put you and placed you, you're going to see a difference. Because you're not going to be the same as you were when you walked in this door today. You're going to be contagious like measles. They're going to want what you got. They're going to see a joy and a peace that passes all understanding. That's who you are. That's who you are. You do not live under the circumstances. You live above them. And I'm telling you right now, if you're going through hell and high water, praise the Lord. When I was given the phone call that I had ovarian cancer and the doctor said, are you all right? I said, I'm perfectly okay. And I began to dance. You're still working miracles. You're still working miracles. You're still working miracles. I'll trust in you today. And I went to the hospital. The woman next to me got saved. The nurses got saved. The doctors were all in. Everybody wanted to be in my room. Contagious like measles. Because I knew that in this storm, Jesus was going to be with me. That's what the world wants to see. You got no money, they got no money. You're happy, they're sad. How can you be happy? You got no money just like me. Because I know God's going to provide my every need. I went to a cancer clinic for five years. It was like open evangelism. I didn't have to say a word. All I had to do was smile at someone. Say, how are you doing today? Oh, it's been rough. Oh, really? Can I pray for you? I'd love it. Everybody wants prayer in the hospital. 
It's, it, it's, it's going to stretch you, but I'm not, listen, blame this word on God, okay? This church has an anointing of evangelism. How many churches do you know has an anointing for evangelism? You know, praying churches, you know, prophetic churches, you know, teaching churches. There's very few churches that you can say this church has a call to evangelism. I give you this, Robin Hanny, you can test it and try it and see. You're going to fall in love with the world. The scales are going to come off your eyes and you're not going to be judging them because they're doing what they're doing. You're going to actually love them and want to hear their story. Every breath you take, he's with you. I know I'm going long. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Okay. I go to restaurants. I always ask the waiter or waitress, what is your name? I want to know who's serving me. Who's this person that's probably working two jobs and has got kids home and is trying to make ends meet? I'm going to treat this person with respect. And I ask them their name. And I'll say to them, I'm so glad you're serving me today. And every time they come back with water or something for me, or if I need something, I'll call out, hey, Jane, would you mind getting me this? And then in the midst of the conversation, I'll say, are you a student? Or, you know, you can, you got to ask the Holy Spirit, you know. You got to talk to him. God, what should I talk to this person about? I've actually had people sitting at the table with me and I say, everybody pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to give us a word for our waitress. I have led more people in restaurants to the Lord. I've had waitresses with their little pads kneel down as if they're writing something on their pad and they've wept. I've delivered Bibles to hotels and to to restaurants to give to the person that gave their heart to the Lord. Spoke into their lives, allowed the spirit to rise up in me, to breathe life into these people. And I've never had one waitress turn me away. Most of them are into fortune telling and tarot cards. And most of the time, people come in and don't give them two seconds of respect. The world is out there waiting for you. Regardless of what you're going through and the circumstances in your life, if you feel that God is calling you or wanting to use you to touch another person's life and you're willing to say yes, could you stand up? If the leadership wants to come up here with me. Silva. Okay, you're all looking very serious at me right now, okay? This is going to be fun. Okay? 
It's time to give the, the enemy a kick in the butt, okay? Am I allowed to say butt in your church? This is actually going to be fun. This is going to bring new life into you. Where the enemy has tried to suck the life out of you, you're going to backfire everything he's done in your life, and you're going to be used by God to touch this world with his love, with his breath. Nothing's wasted with God. Nothing, 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 nothing. I remember my first time speaking in front of a group of Inuit women who have been raped continuously who were trapped in alcoholism, who have children and family members who committed suicide left, right, and center. And I shared with them my story, and out of my lips came these very words. I am glad to tell you that I was raped, that I was in an alcoholic home, and that I tried to commit suicide. And I was shocked that I had said these very words out of my lips. I couldn't stop them. The Holy Spirit said it through me. But when I said it, I said, yes! I'm glad I could taste what you've tasted because I know what it feels like to be healed. I know what it feels like to know Jesus in a way where I can love those who persecute me and and pray for those who despitefully use me. and, 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 And I know what it's like to love unconditionally because he loves me unconditionally. Father God, we surrender. We surrender. Thank you, Lord, for loving us so much. You'll never quit on us. You'll never let go. Father, I pray a blessing upon this church right now and its leadership. That all heaven will be released within their spirit. there's someone on that journey that you want us to love in your name give us the courage Lord help us Lord to touch this world with your love we don't want to be selfish and just hold it to ourselves we want to share it 
but we don't honestly know how many times. So Holy Spirit, breathe. Breathe in us and through us. May our eyes be filled with your love, Lord, as we look into the eyes of a broken heart. Lord, may our thoughts be your thoughts. Lord, may our heart melt with love for them. God, take our lips, our words, and anoint them, God. We don't want to be pushy or try to do anything in the flesh, Lord. We, we totally want to be led by your Spirit. Father, I feel the heartbeat of the Son who died for all of us in this room. The heartbeat that none would be lost heartbeat that would leave the 99 and go and find that one who so desperately needs you. Father, baptize this church in love. we thank you for the weapons that you've placed in each of our hands the pain the difficult circumstances the abuse the accusations all weapons Lord that you placed in our hands so that you could heal and become weapons so that we can use those very weapons that were formed against us against the enemy to establish your love say that with me. I love you, Jesus. 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 And in your wonderful, powerful name, Jesus Christ, we pray these things and give you all. And all God's people said, carry the, the name of Jesus on your lips wherever you go and may you be the light of the world through, through the power of Jesus that's in you go and be blessed Father we want to thank you for Wanda for the things that you poured out of her heart into us and we receive them with gratitude and gratefulness for a woman that walks with God and shares him with us be blessed wherever you go, whatever you do, however you say it, wherever you say it, in the manner that you feel is most appropriate. Be blessed because the word of Jesus is on your lips. Have a fabulous, Jesus-filled week. Amen.